0: Hello, hello, business bestie. How are we doing? Welcome to another episode of the no-fluff, bingeable, most conversational business podcast out there, where we have raw and real and genuine conversations sharing tactical business growth advice. If you're new here, I just want to take a second to welcome you and say that I am so happy that you're here. I'm your host, Madison Page, and I'm a business growth specialist helping you learn how to stand out and sell out on social media by building a ride-or-die obsessed online community around your brand so you can increase your sales but here we're learning in a fun conversational type of way kind of like drinking coffee with a biz bestie we put out new episodes every Tuesday and Friday so make sure that you are following along and you get notified every time we post one this is an extra special episode with our guest Megan Lamley I have known Megan for a little while, we were in a mastermind together, and this conversation really, truly is the epitome of just a conversation of two people that have a very scientific approach to business. Megan is a sales expert of nine years. She she teaches you how to sell and scale your business, and she focuses really heavily on a scientific approach from sales psychology, consumer behavior, and her and I kind of have that in common, and she has so much textbook knowledge as well as real life experience, and this conversation is really just her and I chatting, having a grand old time together, and talking business and science behind selling and some controversial topics as well as just tangible things that you need to do, whether you're a product or you are a service. So without further ado, welcome Megan.
1: Hey Megan, thanks so much for being here. I am so excited to be on this call.
0: All right, girl. Well, let's get started with just kind of what are you all about? Who do you teach? What is your story?
1: Yeah, so my name is Megan Lamley, and I teach entrepreneurs how to sell. I actually went to school for business. So I graduated with my bachelor's of science in business management in 2017 and did what every college graduate does go out and try to find a job. And the job market still sucked back then. <laughs> so after spending a grueling 11 months as an assistant manager for a massage chain and getting fired. I started entrepreneurship, which I never thought getting a business degree. They ask you periodically, like, do you ever think you're going to own your own business? And I was like, God, no, no. So in 2019, I was kind of this like virtual assistant, social media manager, OBM mix, hating my life. And (laughs) I was like, I have $200. There is a coaching program I want to join. And I messaged her and I was like, this was after I'd given her every objection. And I was like, okay, I got 200 bucks. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, but like, let me try. And in my first calendar year, I did $220,000 cash. Uh, two weeks before the pandemic, I niched specifically into sales and teaching more sales and learning buyer behavior and sales psychology and my minor is in economics. And so it was taking what I was learning and observing because it was in economics in Southeast Asia, which is very niche, but Southeast Asia is, it's an emerging market. Well, it was when I was in school, it's more established now taking everything that I was learning, learning a bunch of sales psych while we were all quarantined. And that has just blossomed into this beautiful business of teaching sales and sales psychology and buyer behavior, consumer behavior, and even some trend forecasting.
0: So cool. I love the mix of business management and econ because I have a business management degree too. And so I have took some econ classes, but I think that's really, it's a really unique approach to an online business just because I feel like in the online business world, we don't always, I don't know. It's almost like a totally different ball game that it, we don't always attribute it right back to econ. Um, but I'm sure from your perspective and how we, we both talk a lot about science and psychology by our behavior, because we both do have that like you know, actual textbook education on it. Um, I think it's a unique approach to an online business too. So that's very cool. And kind of going to econ, where do you really feel like in social media, like right now is such a unique area, like time with economy. i am getting so many people to say like, hey, I feel like buying is so different right now than three to four years ago, two to three years ago, even like six to eight months ago. Where do you really feel like things have changed right now? So,
1: there's an emerging kind of niche inside of econ. I never would have studied econ if I didn't like the econ professor I had. And then I just kept taking his classes because I loved him. It wasn't that I loved econ, but I loved the professor. There's something called behavioral economics, which is this blend of what is traditionally behavioral science and studying people and then blending it with the rise of social media and the marketing around it. Social media has changed buyer behavior because it's less of this relationship where the buyer comes to the seller and the seller has the curated information and gives them what they need. The buyers are more equipped with information than they ever have been, which one can speed up the buying process which is nice for us, but two can also create their own mindset around it. I would say in the last 2 years we've seen buyer behavior shift because of things like TikTok where people aren't googling anymore. They 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 go to TikTok. If like I was looking for a yoga flow a couple weeks ago and I didn't even go to Google, I was like, I know my favorite TikToker who does yoga flows. I'm just going to like save one of her videos and do it. That type of relationship that we have with social media and with these people is changing how we buy because we view them as a resource. And then whatever solution they're providing to the problem is taken as that. But most people come in with way more information because the other thing is, is that these algorithms are getting really smart Mm -hmm. where they can they can see you stop on a post and kind of decide whether or not to continue to feed you those types of posts to see if that's an active problem. And if you're craving a solution around it, so you may, you know, you may not be fully aware of this problem, but your behavior, which is driven by your subconscious may be triggering the algorithm to do it, which can be really frustrating. Now, if you're selling and you're used to or selling something product-based and now having to learn social media and marketing.
0: Yeah. And I feel like social media marketing, a lot of people don't really Like consumer behavior is so there, but I feel like a lot of times people look at social media as more just like, oh, we're like people are scrolling, they're seeing my stuff and getting them to buy. Whereas honestly, it's harder to get somebody to buy on social media than if they're in person. Really, you have to work a little harder because if they're in person, the emotions there, they know they're shopping, they know they see it. But on social media, you have to bring that emotion and everything that people are feeling in person to online.
1: You really do. And it's the difference between, uh, I heard this quote recently about like female relationships and how we tend to go eye to eye. Mm -hmm. And that's really the selling relationship of going belly button to belly button, which just Mm -hmm. means you're in someone's energy. And if you're in someone's energy, your mirror neurons will turn on and start kind of mirroring them. When you're on social media, you're creating a parasocial relationship where you don't actually know the consumer exists. You may know- this shell of a consumer that you serve, but person to person, unless you're really going through each following, if you blow up on TikTok, it's going to be impossible, but it's starting to, how can we create a relationship without physically being right there with someone? And that's how consumer behavior is changing. This is also why we see the rise of comfort creators and how they're easily capturing an emotion that then you feel it, they they've definitely made that intention to feel it but you feel it and you feel that connection and then you also use them as a valued resource my like favorite comfort creator he doesn't sell anything but is tim who just hit like a million and he does the the povs and they always loop back to each other i'm like he is one of the best marketers he also works in marketing full-time though so i'm like of course he does you know
0: yeah it's funny when you see like people on TikTok that are influencers or creators or whatever. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I do full-time work marketing. I'm like, ha ha. It all kind of stems back. Even if you're not selling something, marketing still stems back to what people like, what people want to consume.
1: I would definitely agree with that. And smart business owners are going to, instead of seeing TikTok as a challenge and ignoring it, they are going to try to learn it. Because Learning a channel also teaches you how to learn content creation and that's why we can see these full-time marketers come in and dominate something like TikTok is because they understand the principle of content and marketing and then they just apply it through the lens of that channel Mm -hmm. versus trying to just learn that channel and then you know, try to take that same approach back to Instagram or YouTube shorts or something else.
0: Yeah. And I think that's both of us kind of lead with that scientific approach. And then you filter in how the algorithm works, how that channel works, how that platform works. It's both are important, but having that strategy to start kind of going back to what you were saying is online, we have to make this relationship of something that with the people that don't even really know who we are as a business owner, as a business, how do you really feel like is a good way to do that on social. Like I talk about community, I talk about personal branding, but I love to hear everybody's kind of point of view on how you feel like business owners can create that connection with people without even really knowing who's watching completely.
1: I think you have to think about the core connection of people in general. You know, a lot of times we get really in our heads and we think that like, we have these separate identities and they perform differently in our different areas of life, but they really aren't. You're not a business owner scrolling TikTok. You're Maddie scrolling TikTok who Mm -hmm. also might be a business owner. And like the core connection is, you know, it's vulnerability, but not just like, using it as like a personal diary. It's vulnerability of sharing struggles, sharing similar things that they're going through. If you're a business owner, like if you are more of a service provider that's leaning into your brand story, if you're a product owner, it's really going into your product. One of the things I always think about vulnerability is uh, my friend Leanne at Took Take, she always tells a story about how when she got cancer, She was trying to keep track of all her medications. And so she built these stickers that go on the bottles that you just rip off each day that you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And that connection to people like I've never had cancer, but I've definitely had to take medication. I've never finished a round of antibiotics. I know that for a fact, (laughs) but it's that, that first part of that story and understanding that people connect with people who they see something in themselves. And when you're marketing on social media, it's very easy to hide behind your services or your product or... A persona, it's like, who are you at the core? Can you share that and can you layer in your pieces? And then, like you say, community is gonna be your biggest trigger to building anything because people naturally talk. And with that, it's kind of like I always use the pay it forward effect. You know, yeah. he he gets that whiteboard out and he's like, if one person does three people and then it continues to grow, and at a certain number of generations, it's reached the whole world. That's the thing that a lot of people forget about communities is that when two people come together, that starts a community and they continue to grow from there. But a lot of people, I think get really frustrated with social media is because they don't go viral overnight, but they don't realize that it's this snowball effect of community members coming in and sharing it with other people and tagging other people and being like, oh, if you're interested in this, you know, here's the other pieces to it.
0: Yeah. And as opposed to looking at that, just like raw numbers of, okay, I don't have a hundred thousand views on that video, but I have 3000 people that have heard this that are now talking about me or sharing about me and getting in front of new people. Instead, it's kind of that natural snowball effect that social media can have.
1: It really is. I had a video go viral recently. on like, I have a book talk account just to mm-hmm. talk about books and yes. this video is sitting at over 50,000 views. What was the tipping point for that video specifically was people starting to tag other people and then having a conversation about it. That's the other thing when it comes to social media marketing is a lot of people speak at their audience instead of speaking to them and having a conversation with with them because you wouldn't just speak at someone you would have a conversation
0: yeah and asking that questions prompting it because i think a lot of people are like well nobody ever engages and it's like well girlfriend you're not actually telling them to engage you're not setting it up no. like you're not just gonna if you're just saying look at how awesome my product is like nobody's going to start that conversation what do you think is a good way for product-based business owners to kind of start conversation around their product because i think in services We have stances, we have opinions, but in products, where do you really feel is a good way that people can start that conversation deeper? Product
1: marketing is so interesting because so many people, when it comes to product marketing, they kind of hide behind it. And what I think starts the best conversation is not hiding behind it, but owning it and then having more conversations around it. There was um, a candle company that came across my feed and they were talking about how they went viral and they weren't able to go viral again. And it was so interesting because I was like, well, why do you make candles? Like, what is your whole reasoning? Why do you pair? I remember one time my friend and I took like a candle making class and we put like a hint of lime in it. It's like, where do you pair these scents to do it? And then having the opportunity of asking people further questions, whether it directly relates to the product. So using the example of candles, you know, what are your favorite scents? What kind of scents do you love to have in your home? What do you think about this set? Or pairing of uh, what are some of your favorite candles when do you like to burn it naturally asking questions gets people to reply because it leaves an open loop but it's also like with products I feel like it's this open close where it's like bring people in and yeah. give it more than just here's this candle buy my candle give them some like thought process and something to work on I always say if you're doing any sort of engagement with your audience whether it's you're messaging people or You're creating content and with a question because one, people will naturally answer a question. Yeah. You don't always have to have a call to action, which I know is controversial in the marketing world. But the second thing is is the principle of self disclosure. If you can get people to talk, they're going to keep talking because of the dopamine hit, and everybody loves dopamine.
0: Yeah. And people love sharing their opinions, their routines, their habits, like the things that they do, the things that they love that even from the example of candles, like scents, like people are passionate about the scent that they like. Like I'm a lavender girl. Like if I could exude, like if I could sweat lavender, I would. And I think that like, if I could pick a scent, that is the scent that people would think of when they think of me. And I think that everybody kind of has their their opinions. I have a client right now who, she makes soaps and she has this person that like comes to markets and she, he's like, you need to make patchouli. And he's like, you're, you're so opinionated based on the scents that you have. um, that if you can just start that conversation, even like controlled controversy of being like, people think that this is that way, but it's actually this way. What is your opinion on it? I think that's a good way to do it. And like you said, people kind of hide behind, they almost want to, they like don't want themselves to be a part of it. But if you look at some businesses right now, like frownies, I don't know if you've seen their marketing. Oh, I've seen that. I've used them. (laughs) We've tried them, but the owner has made herself such a face of the business. And it's just her chatting about how she used it, how she, her and her mom like started the thing. And she's made herself a face of the business, but she's also made herself like, almost a spokesperson, which is why so many of these businesses in commercials, like big corporate businesses, give themselves a face is so we can start this conversation as if it is a person and not an entity.
1: It's the Sarah Blakesley effect with Spanx though. Yeah. Sarah was like, I don't look like your standard model. So when I'm going to start, like I'm going to market to the average woman yes. using myself. And that's where the interesting thing about products is, is that like, people latch on to that story because, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a time in our life, not in our like lives, but in like human lives where we would sit around a campfire and we would talk about our days through storytelling and it would be a way to entertain and educate. And that's where social media has become this kind of campfire for it. And -hmm. the interesting thing is with specifically products you're not buying the physical product you're buying what the product gets you and your connection to it and a lot of people forget that because they're like well they're just buying you know frownies is like paper mache for your face. (laughs) People aren't buying paper mache for your face. Like I made a paper mache pig in the eighth grade. It was glorious. He's around here somewhere. People are buying the fact that they don't have to inject Botox in their face. And there's, is that connection of how this is a family business where family businesses are starting to crumble. And it's interesting when it comes to consumer behavior, because with the rise of social media, you would think things would be depersonalized to the point where it's like, you're just looking at these massive brands, but it's like, even these large brands, we have some connection to the founder or to the story or to the emotion they're creating or the idea that this brand stands for. And that's where most people I feel like are missing the mark on consumer behavior because they're like, well, I don't matter. My story doesn't matter. And I'm like, actually it matters more now because consumers are also hyper aware of values. They're like, if you're doing something front-facing and then it's super it's super yeah. sketchy on the back, people are gonna find out about that and then they're gonna not buy because it doesn't align with that value.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's actually a lot of the things that you just said is a lot of things that people shy away from naturally because they think their life is boring, their life is mundane, nobody cares about those elements, but it's actually kind of the superpower behind their selling is talking about what it's like to actually use and own your product and like, how are they gonna feel as they're using it, as they're putting the frownies on their face, the 10 minutes after when they're talking to their friends, like that is the emotion that is actually that story and that feeling of how they're going to feel through it or why you started it. I mean, frownies has some story of like, it was like some, their mom made it when she was a kid and she's always used it. And so she turned it into a product. And that is so cool to people that it is kind of that like generational thing. It's been passed down and even though so many people, I ask my clients all the time, I'm like, well, what are you, what's your values of their business? And you're they're like, I don't know, like I sell, I sell cool stuff. Like I'd like, I like my clothes or I like, like, that's my not clothes. a business. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, no, no, no. You need, and even if you don't know what they are, you need to make them. If there's no tangible benefit, you need to come up with them. Otherwise people just aren't going to know how to feel and they can't actually attach to that feeling.
1: And then you're irrelevant.
0: Relevancy is everything.
1: It's interesting that you bring up like being boring. I for so long that was something that I struggled with is because like I'm not jet setting. Uh, I thought I wanted a laptop lifestyle. I hate living out of my suitcase. If I travel for more than two weekends in a row, I'm done. Like give me routine. But I can't cart all my books everywhere. And I think there is a certain percentage of the population that does crave that kind of influencer lifestyle, but the average person just wants someone to validate that their life is kind of boring and that it's okay for it to be boring. It doesn't need to be like jet setting all the time. And often these different places, because if you think about it too, most of the time your ideal client and you connect on like certain common ground. And a lot of it is lifestyle values what you're craving out of the product and it's it's okay to be boring. Like I invested yeah. in my first coach because she just lived she lived in a high rise in Dallas. She wasn't jet setting around the world. She was just like I like to have money for brunch. And I was like <laughs> I
0: <laughs> want to have money for brunch. Yeah. yeah, I love me some brunch. Give me some bottomless mimosas and I'm in. Um I think that's interesting too and I think everybody feels like their life is mundane, more mundane than it really is. And I think there's a reason that like morning routines and evening routines and makeup routines are so popular of videos like the get ready with me videos, because people just want to know what you are doing in your mundane, like your daily routine lifestyles. And like, I might live a little bit more like you know, abnormal of a life. living out of a bus. I travel, I do the thing, but I still feel like my life is mundane because it's what's normal to me. I've been living outside since I was like 15 in different capacities. And so to me, it's mundane, but a lot of my clients are like indoor cats. They're like, no, no, no. Like I don't, I, some of them live out of vans. I have some, I have a lot of clients that have lived out of a van in the past as well because of that similarity, but I have a lot that are moms with three kids that are like, I can't even get away for an hour, let alone like go travel the world. I have way too much going on in life. And I think that it's interesting that I still attract different people because they don't feel similar to me, but they feel similar in different areas because you can share that mundane. And honestly, it's in the mundane that people connect to you because it makes you feel like we're not all that different. Even when there's a reason Haley Bieber and like Kylie Jenner post videos of them, like, cooking breakfast when it's because they want they want that feeling that like we are all the same and it is such a connection point in a community that we have all of these really mundane similarities
1: I think people because we've been so isolated crave this idea that like we aren't that different from each other and that Mm -hmm. we're all kind of in this together yeah because there, there's two kind of polls. I was talking to one of my friends about how like when we were in high school, social media was like, it was a thing, but it wasn't like, you didn't have to have like a personal brand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you you didn't have to. I remember when I hit like 600 followers on my personal account when I was in my 20s and everyone yes. was like, ooh, and now they look at my business account and they're like, you have over 5,000 followers. And I'm like, I'm like, just don't look at, like it's forbidden, like just stop. Yeah, it's a
0: different thing, yeah.
1: It's a different thing, but it's like, I think there is such a struggle for Gen Z and kind of millennials of figuring out, like, we have felt so isolated and so different that it's like when we look around, we all kind of like the same things. We're all kind of the same person. And that is really safe feeling to us, because if you think about it, at the core of everything that we are, we are mammals and we are packed animals. And when you are outside of the pact, that is typically like weakness or leadership. And a lot of people feel like it's weakness and that not being in the like the pact, you're isolated. I remember I saw this study about how like loneliness is a larger driver for like illness and potentially death and like smoking cigarettes because at our core, we want to be connected yeah. and we want to be valued and we want to belong.
0: And I think that's where social media has really gotten its rise is because you can scroll all day and find that connection to people. And especially now that social media is more vulnerable, it is a little bit like there's so many people crying on the internet and telling like talking about problems. It makes us feel like, Oh my gosh, I've had that problem too. Like when a big celebrity starts talking about how they're, you know, having all these mental health issues or whatever, people can find similarity points to it and be like, okay, like we really aren't all that different. I remember when
1: I got into social media, that was the one thing that like, I like craved from the business space in 2020. And so I just started posting pictures of me crying. And then we had like therapy Tuesday where I would come on and be like, I just bawled my eyes out. I do remember some of the first posts, one of them was like, there's no crying in baseball, but there is an entrepreneurship and just explaining like, Hey, you see, it was when I was growing really rapidly and like, I still am, but it's more stable now. It was really this, like, you know, people were seeing this, like I was getting published in a local magazine. I was doing hundred K sales in my first eight months, which was unheard of. And I was like, Mm -hmm. here is the highlight reel. Here is me crying in my car or me feeling really stressed or me feeling like, you know, I'm getting too big for my britches. And it's so interesting because that, that. like that movement that I've also seen continue to grow. It also can normalize the fact that it's like, you're not going to have a good day every single day, even yeah. if social media feels like it as a business owner, like the highs are really highs, but sometimes the lows are like, well, you know, this would be like a better idea if I like, wasn't X, Y, and Z. Or yeah. I remember when I got diagnosed with um major depressive disorder in the end of 2021 And I remember talking about it and feeling so alone because a lot of my friends had hidden that they were medicated. And when I talked about it one-on-one, they were talking about how now they're on medication. And I started talking about it on social media and my diagnosis. And there were so many people who came to me and were like, oh, I was thinking about meds and this has actually started the conversation with my doctor or like, oh, I'm actually going through getting diagnosed and like, this makes me feel less alone. And it was like, oh, This weird share, just to share, not trying to get anything out of it, also created this community of like, it's okay. Yeah. And that, that honestly is also something about consumer behavior where I don't think we used to just want the highlight reel, the influencer, the YouTube kind of effect where now it's like, I want to know the whole person. Yeah, because I also care about the whole person behind the product, the brand or the service.
0: Yeah. And it's been interesting because you and I have both been in business now for so many years and like have been on the online space is seeing that develop even more that like consumers are more so like they're striving for that transparency and connection with businesses, with people and seeing the highs and the lows. And I find it really interesting a lot of times like I see it on TikTok a lot where TikTokers will be like, my small business is failing. And they like it's like their whole strategy is going on TikTok and saying that they're not getting any sales and hoping that it makes people want to get sales because people just want to support people. And I it's controversial. I don't love it. But I, I don't do love it. They, I don't love it. I think it's sleazy and I think it's and then they when they see it work thank well, you. I think it's sleazy. They just keep using it. It's just it's using like psychology against people, but I do think it's you it's interesting. It's interesting to see that people People, they're, I mean, basically, they're just crying off of really kind people that want to support somebody that's struggling, but then they make it the whole strategy because they see that it works. But it means that that transparency and that level of support is something that consumers are are looking at. I do think it's a sleazy sales tactic, but it's interesting from a consumer behavior standpoint. You know
1: what I always think of? Have you seen that Black Mirror episode where they rate people? Please tell me you watch Black Mirror.
0: I have, but I don't think I've seen that one.
1: It's like every interaction that you have with someone, they rate them. And then
0: it's oh, like, they're trying I to get more ratings. Like Yeah. It's been on. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I feel like that kind of tactic is
1: where it's like, you're trying to get people to feel sorry for you. I always operate from the place of never speak from a wound, always speak from a scar. Mm. And there are times in my business where I've been like, okay, like, Something needs to change. But when you get on and you're like, my small business is failing, and you use that, it does. I do feel like you're praying one on your audience to support you instead of actually looking at the reasons why and not capitalizing. If you have gone viral and you have an email list, resell to your email list before you go cry on TikTok. Like use smart business tactics, be a business owner. And that is the shift between having a product and being a business owner. But the other piece is, is, I feel like it's a, there is an unspoken sense of trust between you and your audience. Yeah. And if you use that tactic over and over, you're breaking their trust. And how that shows up in conversation is like, I love the product, but but I see the owner always complaining on Instagram or, but I'm not really aligned with this. And when you give your consumer that, but basically what the brain is doing is saying, okay, cool. The first half, I love the product. When you use the word, but just mentally draw a line out of loving the product because your brain basically says there is a risk to this that I'm not willing to associate with it. Mm. The interesting thing about that tactic though, is that I find the business owners who talk more about, you know, feeling in a weird season of transition versus failing do better over time because they say this is temporary. It's not forever. It's not that the functional fixedness where it's always going to be like this. Yeah. It's that they build more trust saying it's a weird transition or there's a shop owner that I follow and she is pregnant and her lease is up because the building's getting sold. It's like a very weird time of transition. And she openly said like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to have my storefront. We might have to go fully online, but we'll have to do it after I get back from Mat leave. And it wasn't this like, we need to liquidate everything and go. So there's the other part of like, as a business owner, you do need to think about here and now and what's happening now, but also be thinking about the future and the effect that this action could have later on.
0: Totally. What, where are you on the, I think this conversation is so interesting because of how consumer behavior, you can get the narrative of like it being manipulative in some parts or like psychology. Where's your opinion on that of like, when, because you are so knowledgeable on psychology, consumer behavior, those things where I've heard people say that they're like, well, and I've heard the conversation, what's your stance on it?
1: I don't think sales psychology in its truest form is manipulative, to be honest with you. I think that when you study psychology deeply and you study consumer behavior, you also understand that the power that you have, what I have seen and where it tends to go wrong is very emotional based and hijacking someone's amygdala. If you study psychology, you know how to trigger someone and how to hijack that. Mm -hmm. And that is where there is the ethics and moral conversation. There are things that you can do that can drive people to do it. And I have seen people do it. And when it comes to sales psychology, utilizing that to get people who wouldn't naturally take action, that's not working towards their goal. That's a larger conversation of your business, your ethics and your moral. I'm not going to remove sales psychology because of how powerful it is in consumer behavior. But I also operate from a place of I truly believe at the core humans are autonomous. Yeah. There are some people who don't do it intentionally, but do it because it's a human emotion. They get in that fight, flight, or freeze. And when you're in that very heightened emotional state, you're not, your prefrontal cortex, which is your logic making decision goes off board. I think there's another side of it when it comes to sales and pressure and urgency and FOMO, where there is a larger conversation about like, are we unintentionally triggering people to then make a decision that they then have buyer's remorse and now they're locked into a contract? Mm -hmm. So I also allow a lot of space because I am selling packages that are, you know, a $3,000 coaching program is not an average expense that someone could just float. The average the average American cannot handle an unexpected $1,000 expense or $200 a week, which actually is $800 a month. So that's where it's also this conversation of if you know it and you intentionally use it, to get them to take action. Yeah. That is a larger conversation. The majority of people who use sales psychology and understand it are people who are using to enhance their sales skills. It's kind of like this is like the worst example to use but it is very it is hyperbolized to do it. It's like MK Ultra. Whether yeah. or not you believe in <laughs> MK Ultra, they were using those drugs to get to see if they could do mind control and they were well aware and learned about the minds to do this. There are doctors who understand the mind who could do that, but choose not to, because at the end of the day, you also have to think about if it doesn't sit well with you, don't do it again. Everybody makes it unaligned or not integrity-based decision. We're all humans. We all make mistakes, but if it doesn't feel good and you do it again and again, even though, you know, it doesn't feel good. That's a larger conversation of your strategy and sustainability.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And I, I totally agree with you that it's business. It is when we are, when we have knowledge of it and you're using it for bad, or if you're using it to manipulate or not really manipulate, but like to sway somebody into a large, large purchase because it's what you want them to do and what might not be what they have. That's a, like in college, I took a whole class on like the dark side of marketing, which is why I think it's -hmm. so so fun to to talk about. But it's not a problem until like intuitively and morally you feel bad about it and you keep on pushing. And I think that's a really good place to do it, um, to kind of draw that line. When you're looking at, Like sales psychology, consumer behavior on social media. What do you feel like are some of the most important things for product-based business owners to understand if they have like a no, no um, knowledge on either of those topics?
1: Emotional decisions are not wrong. We make all decisions backed by emotion. Our subconscious will trigger our limbic system, will create an emotion, which will trigger an action. Mm-hmm. If you don't understand the emotions of your product, that is the first place to dive in because yeah. we make emotional decisions. I don't care how rational you think you are. You're not as rational as you <laughs> no. think you are. You're not.
0: Go the other the target and you'll be able to tell.
1: <laughs> I got out of target with the three things I went there, but that was like...
0: <laughs> I was like myself I'm on good. On that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think when it comes to sales psychology, too, understand if you don't know basic sales, sales psychology isn't going to improve it. It is really easy to jump to the high level shiny stuff because you're like, this is what's going to fix it. There is just basic foundational information about sales to get started with, and then the next thing is just start watching. But not watching from the lens of comparing to try to create it. Start watching, you know, if I see this TikTok and it makes me cry, what about this TikTok is making me cry? Like, what emotion is coming up? What are they doing? Because that also allows you, when you have awareness about something, learning is kind of in this like triangle where it's like awareness and then you're starting to figure it out. And then there's application and then there's doing it by yourself. You have to have that awareness piece. And a lot of people jump from that. They're just yeah. like, I'm not going to consume social media, consume it through a lens of like, you know, I want to kind of see why this gets people to take action or why it creates this emotion so that you can start figuring that out with your own products and bringing that in sales and marketing go hand in hand though. So as much as you want to try to separate it, it is very enmeshed. And yeah. when you get good at sales, you also get good at marketing. You can get good at marketing and not be good at sales though, because yeah. sales is it's not like magically you have it or you don't. It is a skill that's
0: crafted over time. Totally. It's a skill set for sure. And I think I think you can more imitate or mock other people's marketing and you can't really imitate or mock their sales. Like when people are like, oh, oh, yeah. okay, I have this business and I just, you know, I love the way they make content. So I make content like theirs which again is a bigger conversation, but it's also, you can mock their marketing, but you can't mock their sales strategy because sales is so deeply rooted in what they're doing and the uniqueness of the products and how you're speaking to it, the benefits that it's, it's so different than being able to mock somebody's marketing.
1: Modeling is human behavior, but deep learning extends beyond modeling. And that's where it's like, if you model and you don't, a lot of people model without the full understanding modeling and mimicry is our mirror neurons, which is in a section of our brain, which is to see something and then recreate it. That's actually how we learn how to walk as babies. Nobody hands a baby a book of like, here's how to take your first steps, you know, step one, stand up, pick up a foot. If you notice, they watch people and they do it. The thing about modeling though, is that it only does get you so far as you mentioned. And at some point you have to have application and then you have to create the synergy of it. And that's where I think a lot of business owners get frustrated is they model it, they don't see the results and it's not because they have a full proper application or understanding. And that's where sales is so different because how I sell is going to be very different than how you sell and how someone else sells is going to be very different. But if you have a deep understanding of your ideal client, You'll know how to model, apply, and then create that synergy. And that's where it's also a larger conversation about getting out of your comfort zone and trying different things. Yeah. You know, I, for a while, got really watered down in my content and it was kind of like, it's not performing well. And I wonder why it's not performing well. And I'm like, because this doesn't feel like me and what I'm saying. And I'm also, You know, kind of just being in an echo chamber versus that's a larger conversation of like, do you want to be a leader in your industry? Do you want to be one of the first three that they think about and kind of that positioning? Or do you just kind of want to see what everybody else is doing, kind of do it, see if it works, and then kind of always be, you know, where things go to die is the second page of Google or the fourth place.
0: <laughs> and I think the modeling world is the if you're just modeling what everybody else is doing is such a quick way to get you to that second page of Google It's just because everybody the people that are really standing out are the are the people that are doing things differently, going outside of their comfort zone and trying. And they probably didn't get it right the first couple of times, but the more that they do it their own way, the more that they kind of blaze their own trail in that sense, it allows them to kind of get a little bit deeper into it.
1: If you're not failing, you're not trying.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. And I think so many business owners are afraid to get out there and they feel like it's going to make them look stupid if their reel gets 200 views instead of going viral when they tried something new and tried something exciting. But it's so not the case because the day that you do something new and exciting and it gets 200,000 views, you're going to be pretty excited about that you took that step.
1: I think it's interesting though because like the things that go viral are tested and practiced and refined it's not yes. that it went Randomly. like I had I had something go viral on YouTube shorts and I knew exactly why it went viral and it wasn't a new content it was like talking about how uh in 2021 I left for five months and came back because of my mental health yeah and a lot of people experienced the same thing and I was like I didn't think like YouTube would have latched onto it the way that it did. It did yeah. well on TikTok, it did well on Instagram, but like it had almost 40,000 views on YouTube and it was like this wasn't a new concept. This was a story that I had told so many times and I knew the emotions to pull and that's where it's also like 200 views though is so much. Like
0: I know.
1: Like 200 views on TikTok if you if you're posting 3 times a day, 5 days a week, and you're getting 200 views per post, you're getting 600 views a day, you're getting almost 3,000 views in a week. That is like high web traffic. If 10% of that. If 300 people are going to your website and then if you're like converting that into 30 orders a week at $10, that's $300 a week. Like this can add up fast. It's just people get so frustrated because they didn't go viral. And that's the interesting thing about the momentum that gets built on social media is it doesn't start with like these overnight successes, I've had two friends go significantly viral. Both of them have been posting on TikTok for over six months. One had been posting for a full year, every day for a full year. The other (laughs) one had been posting for six months. And it's like, you see that moment. You don't see like, I just think about both of them and I'm like, you do not see them going in and doing the refinement and doing the work because it's not glamorized.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I almost think virality is so glamorized and so many people wouldn't actually want to go viral when they see it happen. And all of a sudden they have a million views on something and they have A, all the hate comments that come with it. B all the influx of inquiries and orders and all of a sudden your demand is so much higher. You don't have anybody to help you. And now all of a sudden you have this changed business because you did go viral. And I tell my clients that a lot. I'm like, honestly, like your business isn't you ready. They're like, well, yeah, you don't want it. Like I would rather you get consistent one to 5,000 views on a real or 500 views and gain a couple of followers a week, like gain a dozen followers a week than gain a couple hundred overnight because you wouldn't be able to take it right away.
1: I when I had COVID last year, I made this video and it was satire about how when you start a business as a woman, people treat it like it's a joke. And like, <laughs> what if we the the thing, the premises was what if we bullied men the way that they did? And I took I took comments from males who had commented on my post.
0: I love that, yeah.
1: And changed it. And it, it, like, I think it hit, like, over 10,000 views. And I remember just the influx of hate from men. Hilarious. And it was... It was so interesting because it wasn't related to anything to business. And it's like you, if you're a business owner and you're already on shaky ground about what you do and why you do it, having a bunch of people come in and poke holes, you're not going to want to do that. And that's the interesting thing about like consumer behavior is the consumer will hide behind social media more than they ever have before and so like if you're not prepared to like I just deleted them I was like this is my like this is my page this is my world like (laughs) you don't get to be here like obviously this is for the girls but the interesting thing too is that so many business owners will be so frustrated because they don't go viral and then it's like like you said you're not set up for it you don't have the emotional intelligence to field it or it's not really relevant to what is going viral. And if it's not relevant, then you get frustrated. Like my book talk video, I'm not frustrated because it's not correlating into business. I knew it would go viral because I was like, this is something nobody's talked about. Like I've scoured the internet for this thought, but it's also one of those things too, that like this views don't automatically translate into money. And so many people focus on such a vanity metric of views. It's like, I've always had a small audience and still done really good sales because of the marketing and the sales.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally. And it, it doesn't really, like you said, going back to conversions, you can have 3,000 followers. And if you are converting 10% of those 3,000, when you are launching something or re- have a collection release, like that's still like a lot of sales that you can bring in and consistently growing that going from, you know, 30 sales to 40 sales to 50 sales is better than going from 30 to 300 in the, in a week because all of a sudden this video goes viral.
1: Yeah. And just like the, like you get so dysregulated if you were like that jump would just yeah. throw your nervous system completely off. And like, as a business owner, it's not a bank account flex. It's a nervous system. Do you feel <laughs> calm?
0: I'd Do you wake up in the morning?
1: <laughs> feeling good or are you stressed out because like your nervous system needs help then yeah I totally hear you
0: um Megan you are a book whiz when it comes to reading all of the things what do you feel like is some of your favorite business books that you feel like from consumer behavior marketing psychology kind of world um sales psychology I guess that you would um like gazes at her bookshelf <laughs> there's a lot of them there this are is, a lot of them
1: are oh, is it color-coded too i think it's color-coded yeah it's still color-coded it's kind I of messy because i've been working on projects yeah. um and there's like uh i have multiple stacks downstairs too i also have yeah. a stack behind me how many books are you at this year are you, are you counting uh 41
0: that's insane
1: But I also, so I also read fiction that I am not only a nonfiction girly, I did that in 2020 and did not enjoy it. I have a very set system I read during the day unless I'm like I'm reading the fourth room right now and I'm really into it so any spare moment I have like I'm trying to finish that book I'm really into it yeah but at night I'll read on my kindle or I'll read a physical book and then during the day I read nonfiction. uh I don't read like normal start your business books anymore because I've obviously started it yeah consumer behavior sales psychology if you've never read Why She Buys by Bridget Brennan, that is an incredible it.
0: book. So good, yeah. I've seen, I've read that one.
1: Um, anything by Robert B. Caldini? He wrote Persuasion and Influence. Mm-hmm. Influence if you can get I read is
0: so good,
1: get an older copy of Influence, though the new copy is significantly more intimidating. The updated and revised version. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Uh, I would say like just straight sales, anything by Jeb Blount. It's B L O U N T. He worked in traditional B2B sales. So it is a little bit more aggressive than what you would do. And then it is called behavioral science in marketing or something like that. It's on Amazon. It is a, it's a pricey book. She's like 40 bucks. She, I made my mom buy it for me. I was like, (laughs) I had COVID and my mom was like, what do you want? And I was like, I need a physical copy of this book. That one is probably the most cutting edge for research that I've seen around behavioral economics and sales psychology. The interesting thing is, is sales psychology in the research world doesn't exist. It's behavioral economics. Yeah. So that's where you can also kind of visit. The other thing that I would also say when it comes to just reading books is, is figure out what your parallel industry is. So for sales, it's typically communication, human behavior, habit adoption, uh, just behavioral science. Yeah. If you're working more in the product business, there's a lot around specifically products, but also getting into like color psychology. And um, there's a really good book, if you are product-based, it's called Billion Dollar Brand Club. And it talks about the rise of direct consumer I okay. loved that one. That one is done really well too. Cause the other thing is, is like nonfiction that reads more like fiction is easier yeah. to consume. Totally. So I have a ton of books also on my page. If you want to look on Instagram, yeah. if you're a Goodreads girly, all of my stuff is on Goodreads. Uh, even like the fiction smut that I read is also on there. It's a non-judgmental zone. Thank you. We love
0: it. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> that's. That's a good way to go. Awesome, Megan. Well, what would you say is kind of like your legacy on the podcast, whether it's a tip, a a words of wisdom, whatever, at for an entrepreneur that's trying to grow, that's listening to the podcast, if you could scream something from the mountaintops, what would it be?
1: Just keep going. Mm-hmm. You're going to have hard days. You're going to feel like you're going to quit. You're going to have days that you honestly look at corporate jobs. I think all of us have done the good old job hunt and you can quit every single day as long as you show back up. And that's where businesses are not, the online space glamorizes it. Businesses are not built in a year and 18 months. They're built over five to 10 years. Yeah. And if you can really, if you get over the three-year hump, I promise you, it gets so much better. You feel less like an imposter. You hate it less. You love it more, but also understand that the brands that you glamorize started in a very different world and they had very different support systems. So it's just like some days you really have to pull yourself out of it.
0: Totally. And the, the, the world right now is kind of weird with some of the, with it's changed so much in the last couple of years. So kind of staying on top of that, but it is funny to look back at myself even like three or three to five years ago when I was working, doing social media stuff is having the difference in just like mindset around how a business grows in those first three to five years is so is so crazy. And I've been building businesses for more than three to five years. It's just the more that you do it, the more, The more your skill set grows, the more that like, you know, entrepreneurial IQ grows that you're like, I can handle this. I can do the thing and I know how to do it. It's very good. Well, Megan, thanks so much for being here. Where can people find you? Where where are all of your things? Go to Instagram. That's where I hang out. That's
1: where the books, the podcast, everything exists. If you are somebody who you listen to this and you want to learn more about sales psychology or anything, you can sign into my DMs and I'll point you free direction, books, courses, anything like that. And if you just listen to this and you want to say hi, just slide in
0: and say hi. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here. I'll put all of your links down below so people can find you that way. Thank you. Thank you. This has been so lovely. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation between Megan and myself. Like I said in the beginning, it was just a real actual conversation between two business brains that love to nerd out on some science. All of Megan's links will be in the show notes. Go check her out. She is Megan Lamley, L A M L E, and I guess it's Megan, M E G H A N, L A M L E, with a dot in between the two, first and last name on Instagram. And I am, this is Madison Page. Thank you so much for listening. We put out new episodes every Tuesday and Friday, so make sure that you are following along and enjoying the conversation here twice a week. I'm so happy to have you. I'm in your corner always. I'm rooting for you and I love you.